You're listening to a Centro Church podcast. Welcome to church this morning. Come on, sit say hello. It's good to have you here. Woo. How are we doing? You good? Have a good Christmas? Yeah, ready for two days' time, a new year. That's exciting. Now 2018 is gone, it's dusted. And uh, two days, we're up to January the 1st. In fact, if you go into my office, I've already crossed out January 1 on my calendar because I'm not in there until Wednesday. And so I'm already crossing off 2019. It's going so quick. And uh, who's had a good 2018? Yeah. yeah, come on. It's been a good year. And I think there's some things that we can celebrate as a church as well this year. And, and, and actually, you know, one thing about New Year's is it reminds us that life just keeps going, doesn't it? Life just moves forward. Life moves on. And, and uh, you know, change is inevitable. Change is good, right? Change is innovation. Innovation is, is, is a great thing. And in fact, the whole Christian idea, the whole Christian thought, the whole Christian philosophy is all about change, right? It's all about innovation because the Christian is all about becoming more like Jesus, right? The whole Christian life is about change. It's about me becoming more like Jesus. Jesus, And so I thought it'd be a great time in the year to talk about, I guess, some changes that we can make coming out of one year, going into another one, you know, looking at uh, what's been in our life this year, what we're hoping to achieve next year. What are some things that we can place in our life to become more like Jesus, right? To maybe change a few things where we can become a little bit more healthy, where we can innovate ourselves, innovate our Christian walk and uh, be in a good place next year. Does that sound good? Um, so I want to continue a thought that I started two weeks ago called the soul detox. Just looking at what needs to come out of our life, what needs to come into our life. This is part two. We did part one a few weeks ago. You can get that on podcast. A couple of months ago, our family did a, a detox, a food detox. And uh, one of the things that I learned in the detox was a detox isn't about eating nothing. You know, it wasn't, Tim, you eat unhealthy food, so stop eating. It wasn't about eating nothing. What it was about, it was about eating better things, right? It was about eating good things. It was about eating more healthy things. You know that our soul is just like that. There are things that we can allow to enter who we are that aren't healthy, right? There are things that we allow people to do and say over our lives that we take on board that aren't good for us. And so a soul detox isn't about cutting people out of our life and, and cutting life out of who we are. It's just about doing things a better way, a, a, a better way for our souls, right? The soul is the invisible you, right? The body that you have, that's the vehicle in which you exist, right? Your soul is everything else you are beyond the physical body. In Genesis 2, 7, we see the soul being put into man where it says that, you know, God formed the man out of the, out of the dust of the ground and he breathed the breath of life into the man. Uh, that word breath in the Hebrew is neshomah. Everyone say neshomah. And neshomah means this. It means vital breath. That's what it means. It means vitality. It, it means the breath of inspiration, right? The breath of soul. That's what it means. The word breathed here just means volume. And so what this scripture is saying here is that God gave a volume of vitality. That's what it's saying. 
that God made a sandcastle in the shape of man and then he gave it a breath of vitality, a breath of inspiration, a breath of soul, right? My soul is the volume that God has placed in me. We are literally living off borrowed breath. What a beautiful thought that is, that every time that I breathe, I'm reminding myself that God is in me. Every time you breathe, you are reminded that the vitality that you have just by existing right now is all because of God. And so I think to understand how to have a healthy soul, I think we need to look at the environment that God first places man in, right? What things does God surround mankind when he first breathes into man vitality? So we're going to go back to the very beginning, back to the very start, and we're going to unpack this this morning. Cool? Genesis 2, verses 8 to 23, you can read with me. It says this, Then God planted a garden in Eden, and there he placed the man that he had made. God made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. In the middle of the garden, he placed the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God placed the man in the garden to tend and watch over it. But God warned him, you may freely eat of the fruit of every tree in the garden except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Then God said, it's not good that man should be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. So God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. While the man slept, God took out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. Then God made a woman from the rib and he brought her to the man. At last, the man exclaimed, or in the Australian version, Holy moly, that's good, right? (laughs) So in here, there's four things that I just want to bring out to our attention, right? Four uh, uh, environments that that God puts around mankind that I think generates and keeps recreating the soul of man, putting him in a good position. Are you ready? So two weeks ago, we already did number one, which was the idea of recreation or recreation, right? God plants Uh, puts man in the garden, he plants this garden, and in the garden, God makes all sorts of trees grow up from the ground, trees that were beautiful and that produced delicious fruit. And so this is the first description of the environment that God puts man in. It's a place of pleasure, right? It's a place of shade. It's a place of beauty. It's a place of tranquility, a place of rest, a place of relaxation, right? I'm sure that if we went to Riverlink right now and asked, hey, describe to me what you think a relationship with God looks like, I think most people would say things like this. It looks like a religion, or it looks like following rules, or it looks like following commandments. I don't think many people would start off by saying a relationship with God looks like pleasure, right? A relationship with God looks fun. A relationship with God looks restful. It looks, tra- it, it looks tranquil. It looks good. It, 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 it looks like relaxation. But the first place that God puts man in is in that place. A place of enjoyment. A place that smells beautiful, looks beautiful, tastes beautiful. Let me encourage you. Go back to that podcast and see what it is. We unpack what it is to, to have recreation, to recreate your soul. Number two is where we get started. Ready? Number two, the second environment that God places mankind in is an environment of responsibility. Everyone say responsibility. Who loves a bit of responsibility? No one, great, okay. (laughs) You know, I think as Aussies, we think this is a naughty word. You know, uh, we, we think work is a bad word, you know, because we only go to work so that one day we can have enough money to not work. 
You know, or we go to work so we can rack up our four weeks, so we can have four weeks of no work. We think that work is this thing that we do that steals happiness, real happiness from us. But here's the thing. It's just not true, right? Work doesn't steal anything from us. In fact, work can actually bring us happiness. We think work is bad and no work is fun, but it's not. Here's the thing. God designed us to have responsibility, right? In Genesis 2.15, it says this. God placed the man in the Garden of Eden to tend and watch over it, right? To tend and watch over it. Um, the Hebrew word there, tend, simply means um, to, to serve, right? It means to serve it. So God placed the man in the garden to serve. Uh, the two words here, watch over, is just the one word, and it means this. It means, uh, 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 it's the word shema, and it means to hedge or to attend to. So what God is, is telling Adam is this. He's saying, listen, I've created something beautiful for you. Now I want you to take responsibility for it, right? I want you to be a part in taking care of my creation. What God is telling Adam is this. Listen, I want you to love this thing as much as I love it. What he's telling Adam is this. Listen, I want you to take care of this as much as I care for it. Let me explain. When I was 13, every day I was riding to school. I'd stop at a friend's house halfway, pick him up, and we would ride to school. On the street that our school was on, there was a, cor- a little corner block. And on that little corner block was this little old house, this little old cottage. And in this little old cottage lived this little old man, right? That's the start of my children's book I'm reading, okay? And in the little cottage was a little old man who was made of gingerbread. That's how my book starts, right? Anyway, every, this guy, he was notorious, right, for all the bike riders that rode to school. Because what he would do is, every morning he would come out of his front door and he would stand on his front patio on his front door, this little old man in his little old cottage on this little block of, on this little corner block, and he would wait for anyone to touch, for their wheels to touch one blade of his well-manicured lawn. And if you rode on his grass, holy moly, right? He would, get off my grass, you disrespectful youth, you know? And he would go mental, he would go crazy. 13 years later, I bought my first house. And something changed in me when I signed on the dotted line. I started to care about things that I never thought I would care about. I started caring about gardens. I started caring about well-manicured lawns. There was this one patch in my yard that wasn't getting enough sunlight and it was dying, so I had to chop down a few trees and things to get sun on it. And I went to Bunnings, I bought grass seeds and I bought chicken wire. And so I went to my, to my grassless patch and I put seeds on it. I put my chicken wire around it so that everyone knew that I'm growing grass here. And I would water it every day. I would get down, I would stroke it, pat it, tell it how awesome it is and just encourage it in the Lord. One day from work, I came back from the office and in my patch that I'm growing grass where the chicken fence was clearly around it to say get out of my grass was my son's football and I'm like I walk over and the ball has crushed some of my grass I got it out and I just hey you know life is like this but you know you can rise up and all this kind of stuff And, and I was storming up the stairs to tell my son that he ruined my grass and it was at that point that I was reminded of that little old angry gingerbread man in his little cottage 
I had become just like him, you know, caring for my grass. Don't touch my grass. But here's the thing. God wants us to have the same kind of passion that that little old man had for his lawn with the good things that God has given us in our lives, right? That little old man cared for his grass. I understood it. I understood how hard that he had worked to get it like that. I understood it. It was at that moment that I understood it. God gives Adam this new world and he says, serve it, protect it, look after it. This is your responsibility. Here's a question rhetorical for us this morning. Of all the good things that God has given to you in your life, are you taking care of it? Are you looking after them? Here's some things. God's given, if you're married this morning, right, that's a good thing. Are you looking after your marriage? Are you serving it? Right? Are you serving your wife? Are you serving your husband? Are you protecting it? Are you attending to it? Here's one, your kids. Kids are a blessing from the Lord, amen? Sometimes, amen? Right? <laughs> are you serving them? Are you protecting them? Here's one, your money. It's a good thing, right? Money is good, it allows us to do things. Are you looking, are you, ser- are you looking after it? Here's one, your house. Wherever you live, are you looking after it? I met a businessman once. And we're having coffee. And he said, everybody that he employs, he invites himself to their house for dinner. I said, why is that? And he said, because I want to look at two things, the state of their yard and the state of their house. I said, why is that? And he said, well, why would I entrust my assets of my company to a person who can't even look after their house, where the lawn is untidy and the house is a mess? Now, it's not right or wrong, it's just a thing, right? But I understood it. I understood the principle, right? We need to look after the things that God has given to us. Your reputation, your friendships, your heart, and your soul. This is a good thing that God has given to us. And we need to look after it. Adam's job was to serve his surroundings so that they stayed pleasant, right? Adam's job was to tend the garden, to keep it beautiful and present. Our job is to tend our gardens, right? Our surroundings. Our job is to tend, is to serve uh, who we have in our life, right? Is to serve things that we have in our life to keep them beautiful and to keep our world pleasant. It's to tend to our community and to serve it. That's what God's called us as a church to do. In fact, the beginning of the church starts off like this in Acts. You can read it, right? The beginning of the church starts off by service. When Paul starts preaching, into the ancient Greco-Rome culture, right? He starts preaching to a people group who don't value humanity, right? There was no value of life. Um, Let me explain. This is one thing that the church did, right? Just one out of so many things that the church was so counterculture for for back in the day. Here's one thing that the church did to serve its community. Um, Adoption, right? Whenever we think about adoption today, we think, we think about you know, a couple or a family adopting little children or babies, right? Babies who maybe come from uh, uh, underprivileged circumstances. We adopt them. Maybe children who come, you know, who don't have a mum and dad. We adopt them. And, 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 and adoption in our understanding is all about taking little people and bringing them into our life because they have nothing or, or there's an issue, right? And we bring them. Adoption is about babies. In the ancient world, adoption had nothing to do with babies and everything to do with adults, 
You didn't adopt babies, you adopted adults. The reason that you adopted adults was this. Maybe you had an estate and you had no heir yourself. So what you would do is you would go look at your nephews or look at, you know, if you didn't have a nephew, uh, maybe a close friend who had an adult male between the ages of late 20s, early 40s, right? And what you would do, if you had no heir, you would go and adopt that person to take on your estate, right? Makes sense, doesn't it? Right? You want all of your things to go to a good person, and so you would adopt an adult because you know that they're a virtuous person, so you adopt them, they take on your last name, they take on your estate. You didn't adopt babies, because you didn't know if that little kid was going to turn out to be someone good or a little turd. Right? So you didn't adopt babies, because you didn't know how they were going to grow up. That was not in their understanding. So what did they do with babies that they didn't want? Right? Most families only wanted one girl because girls were a waste of money. Right? That was just the, that was the culture. Right? Boy, you didn't want too many boys because you don't want too many kids because they cost money. Boys are good when they turn 13 because they can go work for you and make money, but you don't want too many kids. So what would happen with the excess boys and most of the, of the girls? What would happen to those babies? Here's what would happen. Every city had a rubbish dump. And what would happen is if you didn't want your kid, you would take it down to the rubbish dump and leave it there. That was happening in every single city in the Roman Empire. 2,000 years ago, something happens, something called the church. This guy called Paul comes in and starts preaching that every human life has value. Whether you're a woman, whether you, no matter your age, no matter what job title you have, you have value. The church start doing crazy things. You can understand, there was no such thing as Centrelink. There was no charity. There was no community service. It was you versus the world. The church is established in Rome, in the, in the Roman Empire, and it starts doing weird things, counterculture things. It starts doing things like this. It starts taking in sick people. It starts doing things like this. People start turning their houses into makeshift hospitals. This is the church, right? Not a government organisation. This is people like you and me. Their houses are turning into hospitals. They start doing this. Because God knows all the hairs on our, on our heads, because he knew us in our mother's womb, therefore we have value. The culture of the day, human life had no value. They start, Christians started going down to the rubbish dump and picking up all these children and taking them into their houses. Some Christian families could have had 20, 30 kids in their house. In Acts, it changes how we see Acts. In Acts, the side of the church, it says that all the believers you know, gave to each other as they had need and the church grew daily. Maybe why they were giving to each other as they had need was because Christians were going bankrupt looking after all the sick people. And so they were giving to each other as they had. This is the beginning of the church. It's taking responsibility. This is our history. Our history is built on work. It's built on the responsibility of tending to our community. Man, how cool is that? That's our history. That's our present. It's our future. Service and work are beautiful things. Don't ever see your job as something worthless, right? Because you, wherever you find where you have responsibility, it's your opportunity to make your world a better place. I'm here to tell you this morning, you might think that you're in a dead-end job right now. I'm here to tell you that God works best in dead-end situations. For those babies, they were in a dead-end place. But then God comes in. God comes in through a Christian and makes that world a better place. 
I'm here to tell you that you might think that you're in a place that just seems hopeless and, 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 and it's just dead. But I'm here to tell you that as soon as you walk into your office, as soon as you walk into your school, as soon as you walk into your workplace, you are a walking miracle. You're a Christian. You're a Christian that has a responsibility to make the world a better place in whatever that you do. And I tell you what, you're going to find your soul becoming more healthy and better as we do this kind of thing. Cool? Number three, reserve. Reserve. Genesis 2 says this, But God warned him, you may freely eat from the fruit of the tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, before we kick off with the, you can't eat from that tree, right? Before we kick off with the sermon that says, God says no, right? God gave rules. Let's just talk about, before we talk about truth, let's just talk about grace for a second, right? Yes, God said no to one tree, but let's remind ourselves to the trees that God said yes to, right? God said yes to so many more things than the thing that he said no to. Does that make sense? Right? The odds were forever stacked in the favor of Adam and Eve. Right now, there's about 60,000 species of trees. There would have been more back then. The odds for them were 60,000 to one. That's pretty good odds, right? God gave permission before he gave restriction. That's how good God is. Okay, cool, you got that. Okay, let's get to the one tree. <laughs> right, first thing, why did God put this tree in and say, don't touch it? And here's, here's some things, right? Without the tree, we lose the definition of love. Let me explain. Because without free choice, love can't exist. Forced love is how you end up in jail. Okay, love is to choose and to choose is to love. Love has nothing to do with freedom from restraint and everything to do with choosing restraint, right? Love isn't a feeling, love is an action. Restraint and reserve is a part of what it means to love. When Kat and I got married, right, it wasn't just a good feeling, we love each other, right? And when we said to each other, hey, I'm not going to look at any girls, and she said, I'm not going to have any other guys, it wasn't just because we felt good on the day, in fact, every single day after that day, right, the idea of love is that we are reserving the right to have other people because it's just her and I, right? Reserve is actually a beautiful thing. It's a thing of love, right? Let's, you know the average millionaire drives a two-year-old Toyota Corolla? Why? Because they've got the money to spend, but they don't. They reserve. They restrain, right? And they've got the money, but they don't waste it. See, if you want to get ahead financially, right, it's not about praying for a raise. Stop spending your money on garbage, right? And say, and, and say no to some things because saying no is actually sometimes a thing of freedom. It's actually good for your soul to sometimes say no. Um, when I used to uh, pastor in, in, in Micaiah, our house was three doors down from, from my office. And uh, one morning I went to work, I walked to work, and I got a phone call from Kat, and she was crying, and I said, what's up? And she said, Malachi got out of the gate. Now, you've got to understand, our, our church had a school of about 1,200 students, and so on our road, it was very, very busy. And so that morning, Malachi had got out, and Kat heard this truck screech, and she walked at the front, and there was Malachi standing at the grill of this Coke truck. 
oh man, I put the phone down and ran. I was, you know, just crazy. Here's the thing. We constantly told Malachi, as soon as he started walking, constantly, 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 we had a lock on it and everything. We said, don't go out the gate. Don't go out the front gate. Don't go out the front gate. And he knew it. We would make him repeat it. He knew it, right? Don't go out the front gate. Don't go out the front gate. Everything inside the gate was his. Everything in my house was his, except for my Xbox. Naturally. Every resource that I had was at his disposal. The one thing that I said not to do was go out the front gate, right? Not because I wanted to lord it over him, not because I wanted to place rules on him, but because I loved him. Because I knew that that was just the best thing for him. If he wanted to have life and life to its fullest, don't go at the front gate. You can have everything else here. Just don't do this one thing because I love you. Right now, he made a decision. He went out the gate. Right, little whatever. The point is this. Right, uh, because I love my son, I put a small constraint in his world. Right, he had the whole yard, the whole house. The one thing: don't go out the gate. Right, the instruction we gave him was to protect him. Reserve on his part was about protection. Following Jesus, right, and the laws of Christ, as Paul puts it, is not about following rules. For religious sake. It's not about following rules because Jesus is a tyrant, right? What it's about is this. Jesus came to the world and said, listen, you guys have turned what God had done, what God had made beautiful. You've now made it ugly. Here, let me come and let me show you. Let me recreate humanity for you and show you how to live. Because the way that I'm showing you how to live, that's how you get full life. That's how you get true life. And so following Jesus isn't about following rules, but it's about about following a process where I'm reserving, I'm restraining myself from living that way that brings death, destruction and decrease and I'm going to follow Jesus who brings light, life and increase. That's what restraint is about. Right, Paul says, listen, you can do whatever you want but it's not all beneficial. It's not going to benefit your life. You can do whatever you want but some of it is actually going to kill you on the inside. Some of it's going to damage your soul, right? And that's so true. There's so many things that we can, you can do it, but it's going to damage the inside, you know? Jesus is saying, listen, follow me. My burden's light and you're going to get life. That's why we restrain ourselves to the things of the world and we follow Jesus. It's not about laws. It's not about religion. It's not about rules. It's about finding true life. Amen? Which leads us to the last thing that we need to surround ourselves with, right? This is soul detox, looking at what's happened last year, moving into next year. What are some things that we can surround ourselves with that can innovate our souls, that can breathe, breathe vitality into our souls? Maybe you've had a bad year, maybe. I'm here to tell you that in Jesus, you can have a better 2019, right? If we just surround ourselves with these things. Recreation, responsibility, reserve. The last one is this relationship relationship Genesis 2:18 says this Then God said it's not good for the man to be alone I will make a helper who is just right for him This is all about relationship You know that your life is defined by many things right many things Your life is defined by level of education your life is defined by the suburb that you live in right Your life is um, defined by your gender. Your life is 
are defined by your age. Your life is defined by your skill sets and experiences and ethnicity and attitude. But arguably, the greatest thing that your life is defined by is relationships. It's the number one thing that shapes who we are. You know, a child by the age six already has 80% of his worldview developed by what he sees at home, by what she sees at home, right? You are a product of relationships, right? My marriage is only as good as what my wife says it is, right? My friendships are only as good as how many friends trust me. My family is only as good as the positive memories they have of me are. My church is only as good as what those in it say it is, right? Whoever the guy was that says, I don't care what other people think, didn't have a wife, didn't have kids, had no friends and didn't go to church, right? (laughs) People matter. Relationships define who we are. Good relationships are essential to a healthy soul. There was this 15th century Jewish mystic by the guy named, uh, by the name of Isaac Luria. And he said this. He said that before God created, it was just God, right? It's just a thought. Before there was anything, there was just God. And God's, def- God's divine, right? So before anything, there was just the divine presence of God. So for God to create something that wasn't divine, He had to make room within Himself for someone else to exist. In other words... What he was saying was that God had to shrink something of himself for creation to exist. What a beautiful thought, isn't it? Beautiful thought about God. That for him to have us, something in him needed to decrease in God. Man, that's just a beautiful thought. Let's think about relationships for a moment. You know what? If you want to have a good relationship, that's kind of the same thing, isn't it? You know, good relationships exist when we're both making room in ourselves for other people to exist. When we don't allow them to exist in our life, that's when we're putting up walls, right? We're building walls, but, you know, we've preached so much in this church about building bridges, right? Making room. Uh, There was this guy by the name of Jürgen Moltmann, and he termed this, uh, he coined this term perichoresis. Uh, trying to trying to explain the Trinity, right? This triune God. We've got there's there's three persons, yet they're one, right? How do you how do you understand that? And he turned this coin perichoresis, which simply means interpenetration. What it means is this: it means to make room around oneself for another. And what he said was this: he said a relationship is kind of like you got you're trying to make two things one, right? You've got two hands, you're trying to make one fist, you know. But when you put pressure on the fingers, you can't make the one fist. And relationships are sometimes like that, aren't they? There's pressure because you've got two different people wanting two different things and there's pressure. And it's so hard to make one unit when there's two people wanting two different things. But we need to learn in our relationships how to make room for each other in our lives, right? We need to make room around ourselves. And so the idea was this, that if we can just make one change, Just one small change in our attitude. One small change in our thought, in our words. If we can just make room for someone, then we can make one fist, right? You're together. Let me tell you this. Sorry, let me say this. Maybe there's people in your life that are just constantly bringing attention. Now, I'm not talking about family. I'm not talking about family. Okay, we dealt with family last week. You can get Pastor John's message on family, how to deal with family that you don't like, right? (laughs) 
This is about friendships, right? That's what we're talking about. Maybe there's people in your life that just constantly bring you down. Let me say this. It's okay to get new friends. It's okay to find people that lift you up. It's okay to find people that are going to make room in their life for you. Let me tell you the easiest way to make a friend here at Centro. Get into what we call a connect group. You know that every single week in this church, we meet here on a Sunday, but then during the week, we meet in what we call connect groups. Small, you know, this is a big crowd. It's hard to find friends in a big crowd. But when you can get to a place where there's maybe just five to 10 people, it's so much easier to make relationships. Let me encourage you, right? If you're looking for friends, if you're looking for people that are gonna have your best interests at heart, right? People that can help shape you and develop you to become more like Christ, right? A bit of a soul detox. Let me encourage you, find yourself this year in a connect group. Find yourself meeting with other people that love you, that want the best for you. And here's the other thing. Go to a connect group so that you can be a friend to someone, right? Because we're all looking for friends. We're all looking for connection and relationship. You know the one thing missing in all of our connect groups? You. You're missing, right? Every connect group wants to have uh, more connection, better relationships. Let me encourage you. Find yourself in a connect group. You know, the health of our souls is determined by how we treat other people and how they treat us, right? So find yourself in some good friendships this year. Cool? And so God creates space within Himself for you because God wants to have a relationship with you. In fact, John says it this way, we only love each other because He first loved us. We, only, we can only create space in each other for each other because God made space for us. The reason that we can have good relationships, the reason that we can make space for another is because He first made space for us. The true health of our souls revolves around the space that we have with God. It's good to have recreation in your life. That's going to detox a few things. It's good to have responsibility in your life and act on it. It's going to detox your life. It's good to restrain yourself and and reserve. It's going to detox your life. It's good to have good friendships and relationships in your life. It's going to detox your soul. But the one thing, the one thing that connects all that together is Jesus. When you have a relationship with Jesus... It's just so, those, all those four things just click easier because they all tie into Christ. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 